Welcome back, everybody, to visiting in with me and my good friend Chancey here on uh, March of 2023 already. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, everyone. Happy to be back with y'all today. Man, we hadn't talked to you since November, I guess it was. And yep. now here we are at springtime. We're transitioning, I guess you'd say. It's, it's been a quite a quite an odd winter here in Central Texas this year where it's been anywhere from 85 degrees down to dang near 14, night. 12 degrees, I guess, at certain times. And, and for those of you not familiar with our area, well, we struggled through quite an ice storm here and within the last month, I guess you'd say, that, that you can still drive down the roads and see remnants of as there's limbs still laying everywhere. Yeah, it's been a roller coaster ride. It really has. It's just the cleanup that's been t- – and you know what's crazy about ice storm? You know, I have buddies that live in northeast Texas, and they didn't get any ice. It just came down the heart, like the middle of central Texas and stopped – you know, just north of San Antonio and didn't go any further than that. It was really weird how the ice storm didn't, you know, affect places in northeast Texas, just kind of the middle of it. Well, yeah, really odd. You know, as I mentioned before, we have this feed store here, and people will come in from, you know, not even that far up the road, and they'll, they were coming into town, and they'd be like, did y'all have a tornado here? What kind of a disaster what happened it here? Like. It did look like that. It, I'll take that dang 2020 snow any or 2021's blizzard snow way over that ice. It was, yeah, it looked just like a tornado came through debris everywhere. Yeah, so if you're not familiar with our area, well, we did get that. And, I mean, uh, it just it came just, just freezing weather and sleet and rain for a good, what, three, four days, I guess it was, mm-hmm. and just built up on the power lines and built up in the trees. And, and following a hot, hot summer last summer and a summer of drought, it was a it was a one two punch for a lot of the trees around here. Sure was. It was really funny about that line because I was working down in Freer, way south Texas, and I remember driving home. I was like, you know what? I know it's bad, but it's like thirty five degrees. I was like, I'll just keep driving north, and as soon as I see ice on the road, that's when I'll start, you know, not driving seventy five miles an hour anymore. <laughs> but anyway, I went into Seguin, and I was going to take the toll road, and I got on the toll road. It was it was unbelievable that line because I was looking at my thermometer on my truck said 35 and I kid you not I drove about four miles north on the toll road from I-10 and about four miles my temperature it went to 30 degrees and ice was just everywhere it it was that that line was that dramatic it was really neat and then driving on into town was just like that all the way you know home to Milam County it was just ice everywhere but that line was like it stopped yes and what's odd about it is every tree species it seemed almost got beat up equally as bad I mean it was I think the ones that had leaves on them still, like so for our area, like the water oaks hadn't dropped all yet, and even the live oaks. So the li- the trees that still had leaves on them, that's why the live oaks really took it in the short. They just had more surface area, so that ice was able to accumulate more and more on them. And I think that's what uh, caused even more damage. Because I know on my place, the water oaks, which still had leaves on them, got way, way worse damage than the post oaks that didn't have leaves on them. Yes, I agree with you. It looked that way around the school over there too, with the where the trees with the leaves. One one tree out of like four of them had leaves on it, and it just took a beating. I mean, it shredded that tree. Mm-hmm. And the ones around it that had lost their leaves, well, they fared pretty well. Yeah, you know, they still had some damage. You know, a branch might have come off, but uh, I mean, we're talking about the entire canopies of these trees. That it basically knocked off the entire third of the tree you know even if it's a really 60 foot tall tree you're looking at 20 feet of it's gone now you know it opened up the entire canopy of the trees yes many of them. and so i think me and chancy through our scientific exploration <laughs> during that event figured out the age-old mystery of does a, if a tree falls in the woods and nobody's around to hear it doesn't make a sound oh man it was 
I tell you, it was amazing. I got in that night. I want to say it was a Friday night. I don't remember what day it was, but it was night. I got home about 10 o'clock that night in that ice and couldn't even get down the driveway. You know, everything was just hanging. But I got there, and I was talking to my wife, and I was standing outside. It was cold, but it was the most amazing thing I'd ever witnessed in my life because I timed it. Every five seconds, you just hear boom, boom, boom. It's just crashing everywhere. All the tops of these trees were just falling out. And every five seconds, they were just crashing all around me. It was, it was, it was one of the most amazing things I ever heard in my life. We'll see. Because it was loud, and it just did it for days and days and days. See, know? that's the difference in me and Chansey. He lives in the post oak savannah where there's lots of trees in his neck of the woods out there. But now you go out where I live in the black dirt farmland, there's hardly any trees. And so we had power the whole time because there wasn't a tree out there to fall on a power line. Whereas Chansey, on the other hand, over there. You know, but we were very blessed, though, where I live. I couldn't believe it. Those narrow power lines, we never lost power. The lights flickered a few times, but thank God we never lost power. We had neighbors that did and other friends did and stuff. But, you know, knock on wood where we were at, I couldn't believe it because I just knew we were going to lose it. I even broke the generator out. I was ready because, you know, there's there's no way. We probably would have if the wind would have really picked up. You well, know? you're right. That's what was a saving grace. Yes. It never got real windy. Yes, and, thank God. Uh, me and Chansey, you know, back when we were in school, I don't know that we had more than one or two ice days in 13 years of being in school that I remember. Oh, I don't When they remember. actually canceled school for, you know. Yes. This, that, and the other. But, man, the last few years with the snow a couple years ago and now the ice this year, I mean, it's really turning into an annual event. We got another week off of school this year yes. because of that ice storm. You know, it, I mean, you couldn't even drive down the roads because of power lines and, and whatnot and no water. Yes. A lot of people were out of water due to the pumps not pumping. Yeah. 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 And so uh, it, it's become like an annual event. And it, But I guess it's kind of a little transition into what we're going to talk about today. But, you know, if you think back to back in the summertime, Whenever the oak trees were all putting on acorns, you remember what an acorn crop we had? Yes. I mean, the the oak trees were loaded mm-hmm. with acorns. I mean, there was solid. a lot of small ones. They were a lot of I saw there was some trees that's full of acorns, but they were smaller than normal. They were, but, but they, they were a bunch t- of them. And you know, so then there were there were people who once again coming in the feed store and the old timers said, "Oh man, that means it's about to be a cold winter." Uh, you know, it's going to be a. a uh, cold winter because they, they say that when the oak trees put on a large acorn crop like that, that we're going to have a cold winter. Mm-hmm. Well, it hadn't necessarily been a cold winter, but boy, it's been some extreme cold. Yes, yeah. I mean, yeah, like you said, the ice storm and, you know, single digit weather, and then the next week it'd be 80. I know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, it's been wild, just a roller coaster. And I mean, we're used to that in Texas. We're, it's always a roller coaster, but these extremes, like from 85 up, to 14 or 12 or whatever it is, is, you know, it's pretty weird. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so, uh, you know, I mean, we the I guess the big snow event a couple of years ago really proved the importance of having an up to date uh, power grid for the state. Mm-hmm. Now this ice storm kind of pointed out the importance of keeping your underbrush and stuff cleared out from under or your limbs from growing over the top of the power lines and stuff like that. Because I know that they're clearing out a lot of right of ways and stuff right now just for to prevent that and for future events i guess you'd say oh yeah and that's why places in town like west austin and all that you know or in austin area like those people they're they're not rural folks so they they like all the trees and having it you know they really don't want 
some of those trees limbed and they need to be limbed and stuff and uh that's why they're having like austin just really got hit hard 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 with all the limbs and electric and power damage and a lot of it's just because of the a lot of the landowners won't won't let them limb and take care of it the way they ought to be taken care of but like i said they learn now so something like that happens and you run out of power for a while Yeah, you you realize the need for for maintenance. <laughs> yes, yes, isn't that the truth? And so the limb the the uh, tree trimming people were very happy. I mean, man, I I've seen them rolling around in Rolls Royces and stuff. Man. <laughs> they they really fared well from that whole event, and there's still work to be done out there. Like Chancey said, he's still cleaning limbs up out there where he lives. And it took me about a day to get the limbs cleaned up at our house off the three trees that we do have. <laughs> but uh, uh, but that kind of transitions us into what we're going to talk about today, partially, which is oak trees yeah yeah so we wanted to talk about oak trees and kind of the different strategies and you know it's on a lot of our minds right now because every single one of us at some point in the last month has been picking up limbs you know and hauling brush and burning brush i know i have for a month now yeah so if you forgot that you had an oak tree well you were reminded (laughs) this year that what you have out there yes so oak trees let's just talk about oak trees because i'm fascinated with oaks i've studied them i've read about them oak forest history and oak forest ecology is bottomland hardwood management wildlife i mean they're they're one of probably the most important tree species in in all of history and wildlife and everything well this is one of the things that you really studied in when your master's program in school wasn't it Mm -hmm. yeah i studied oak regeneration but for a specific little it's called quercus sinuata variety sinuata what we call the durand oak it used to be called quercus durandii and it's you know it grows in calcareous soils on the blackland prairie we don't have very many of them. they're just not regenerating but overall a lot of oak trees aren't regenerating we're just not seeing the regeneration on oaks particularly even post oaks you know and if you go and look around your county and stuff you see a lot of big post oaks but you don't see many young regeneration going on on places and it's property specific i believe you know as you drive across the landscape so you know oaks are important everybody loves oaks there's beautiful landscape oak trees you know i mean oaks are a part of our history a part of wildlife i mean everything so let's just talk about oaks because there's a lot of things that i think are interesting about oaks that people just don't know so for example there's 90 different species of oak trees depending on which botanist or plant taxonomist you talk to if he's a lumper or a splitter that occur north of the Rio Grande. So 90 different species of them that occur in the continental United States. Basically, there's 45 in the east and 45 in the west. And many of them native. Yes, all of them are native, you know, other than some ones that we've brought in for ornamentals or landscaping and stuff. Um, one of the botanists I've talked to, he's like, basically, there's 45 in the east just for quick numbers and 45 in the west, and Texas is a mixing ground. So you get the western species and the eastern species mixing in Texas, and we've got tremendous amount of oak diversity in Texas. I think we have nearly 60, depending on who you talk to, between 50 and 60 species of oaks just in Texas. Well, like you mentioned earlier, whenever we were discussing it, you just said they just happened to have discovered another species uh, out west in west Texas that we thought disappeared a long time ago so when i was in freer working on, i was doing a black lace cactus survey um there's a botanist out there that was working with us helping us look he's a rare plant guy. His name's michael eason and if you like wildflowers y'all he has a new book out there called the wildflowers of texas it's one of the best photographic wildflower books ever he's a botanist here in texas he uh his name's michael eason anyway he was telling me he's done a lot of work on oak trees out in west texas in the chisos mouth he's like yeah uh we just discovered a new species or either a species they thought was extinct you know 
in the Chisos Mountains. Really cool. So, you know, so here we are in 2013 or 2023 and still discovering new oaks. Out Man, there. how cool is that? Yeah. Don't you know that was an exciting day? Yeah, no kidding. So, out of all that, so there's 150 species to 200, depending on who you talk to, in Mexico alone. Mexico's probably the most diverse oak species in the whole world because you've got probably around 450 of them worldwide that occur in, in across the globe, and Mexico has... 150 of those just here south of in the cloud forest alone in mexico where the monarch butterflies go some of the oak diversity down there is just striking unbelievable you know and different kinds some of them are are 200 feet tall oh my gosh yeah 150 150 species in mexico yeah yeah that's what they say you know uh around i've seen some people say 160 you know like i said lumpers and splitters (laughs) yeah yeah. and that's another thing about oaks too because they hybridize so oaks are wind pollinated and so, uh, so fascinating thing that I've just kind of noticed and some friends of mine that study oaks as well, too, and pay attention in the woods, you know, like the oaks are wind pollinated, but you've got like the little male flowers on the same tree and the female flowers on the same tree. But a lot of them, uh, like the little male flowers, the anthers, uh, they'll bloom at a different time than the females, not like not at the same time. So it kind of makes sure that the trees are not being self-pollinated. They're being pollinated by somebody else. Interesting. You know, because of the, the, the flowers on the trees aren't, I've noticed it. They're not uh, uh, maturing at the same time. But that's why diversity, and you have to have lots of oaks. Yeah, so, I mean, that's similar to like a pecan tree or something. Yeah, like or that. fruit trees. You know, the more you have the diversity and, the, you know, uh, blooming at different times, you know, you're just going to get better production. And, boy, speaking of that, my allergies right now are telling me that there's lots of that going on. Yes, yes, the cedar's fixing to be happening. You remember last year, like, because I noticed the cedar trees the other day, they're getting the orange on them, so it's oh, fixing fantastic. to be that top, so it might be what's giving you trouble right now, but I thought you cut that tree down in your yard, <laughs> didn't you? It survived every ice storm and every uh, cold weather event we've had, yeah. Chancey. It, it's one of the three shade trees we have in the yard, so oh, it's, so hard, it's to, hard to cut it down. Hard to cut, yeah, yeah. Now, I will tell you one tree that has not fared very well. And that is our uh, uh, makes the orange uh, fruits the uh, uh, persimmon uh, persimmon yes. tree. Mm-hmm. That poor little tree there has just taken a beating over this, this the last few years, and I I don't think it's going to survive another winter. It may be at the end of its end of its reign. It might not. Some of those trees they get those one two punches, and then they're out. You know? Yes, yes. And so you know you talk about these these oak trees and stuff. Well, I mean. Everybody seems to call them either a red oak or a white oak and don't realize that there's so many different species that fall under those two yes, categories. and that's really important because they're adapted to different environments, different climates, different everything, you know. So it's really important if you're going to a nursery to and you live in the Blackland Prairie and you want a red oak to not buy the one, you know, that's not adapted to it. See, you know, we made that mistake, well, back whenever my mom and dad built our house when I was like, 12 or 13 years old we planted some live oaks and we planted some what he called red oaks i wish i could go back now that you know that i've gotten older and see what species of red oak it actually was Mm -hmm. but there was one particular species of that red oak that he planted that just did not fare well out there in the in the black dirt i mean it didn't last probably five six years and 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 both of them he had planted were gone and somebody said cotton root rot will will affect and will affect a uh an oak tree out there in that area whether that's true or not i don't know but you know i don't know either but like i said it's so much of them are so many of the oak trees are adapted to 
the pH is a big deal with them, you know. So some of them are need calcareous, more alkaline soils. Some of them need more acidic soils, you know. Some of them are more adapted to the sandy land. Some of them are more adapted to the west, especially here in Texas. So with all the different nurseries, you know, you don't know what you're getting. So you really kind of need to know which species it is and some history of them. So, like I said, out of those 400 to 500 species of oaks worldwide, we got 90 of them here in the lower the continental United States. Those basically can be dropped into three different groups some people just say two groups you know basically the the white oaks the red oaks and the live oak in the united states just you can basically say 40 of those 90 species are what we consider red oaks about half of them yeah and about 50 of them of those species so around 90 are what we consider white oaks so what's the difference between a red oak and a white oak because um uh, and, and they are. They're very, very different. One Number one thing which is really cool about red oaks is they are a new world species. They are only occur in the western hemisphere, red oaks. So there's none in Russia or China or Siberia, you know, or in Europe. They all have white oaks. So, uh, What do you red, account that to? You know, I don't know. I guess the same reason we are, some of our mammals have evolved and adapted differently. You know, like our monkeys here in the new world have a prehensile tail. They can use their tail to hang upside down, whereas all the monkeys in the old world, they can't do that. So I don't know. Uh, one of the reasons we got cool critters like armadillos, you know, and possums, you know, just the, the new world's a little bit different. So Right. Different critters. but So red oaks are basically only found from Canada to Colombia, really. That's about their range. And so all of Mexico and North America. Um, really cool. The, the acorns, one of the main differences of them that a lot of scientists look at is the acorns. Usually, when I say usually, this is general, you know. I mean, like there's always some outliers on there, but. Most of the time, the acorns usually require two years to mature. That's basically, it takes two growing seasons for them to have acorns. They produce acorns, what you would call biannually. Uh, the other main thing a lot of people go for that you're reading in key is red oaks have, uh, so the top of the acorn, the little hat is called the cap or the cup. When you pull that cap or cup off, the underside of that cap will be very hairy. It's be what they call tomentose. A lot, a lot, usually red or auburn colored, very fine hairs on the underside of the cap. Now, so if you're looking for a tree to plant maybe in your yard where you don't want to mess with acorns every year, red oak is going to be your one of one of the the uh, groups of species you're going to look for in order to probably that you'd want to plant. Yeah, it won't. It, it doesn't. It, it can produce mega crops when it does produce, but generally it'll produce every other year. Whereas white oaks, and we'll get to them, they produce annually. But even with that said, they still have up, uh, up and down years. So just because one year and it produces annually, it produces a daylight load of uh, acorns, it just seems like the next year, whether we have a good year or not, it just won't produce as much, you know. So the, the, it just takes it. It takes a little while to build back up. Yeah, there's roller coaster rides yeah. with it. Um, another thing about the red oaks, which is a biggie, it's probably the best one. Is red oaks all have spine tip tipped leaf marks. Well, you know, before we move on, Chancey, it's important to point out that the reason that some years it makes less acres is because it's not going to be a cold winter. Well, that's <laughs> according to the old timers. Yeah, yeah. Them old timers are right most of the time. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. So there, that explains your roller coaster. Yes. Yeah. No sure. signs needed there. No, no point wasting tax dollars on research and <laughs> that, but. That's right. So uh, they the, the, the leaf margins all have like a, a, a bristle, like a spine tip bristle on the leaf. So think of a Schumard oak or a Texas Oh, think of the little spine. That that's what they're talking about. Another thing too is nearly all red oaks, the underside of the leaves, have hair 
are little fine hairs underneath it. Some of it, it's solid hairs underneath it, like a southern red oak or a cherry bark oak. But other ones, the hairs are just in the, like if you look on the other side of the leaf, what they call the leaf axis, like the rachis and the, the veins on yes. the side, where the veins meet, where the midrib of the vein and a vein comes into the V. Sometimes the hair is just right there. It'll be a little tough to hair growing right there. So that's one of the things, too, you can really tell because oak trees, when they're young, a lot of times the leaves look very uncharacteristic of what an adult sun leaf looks like. So you got shade leaves and sun leaves. And so looking at different species, you've got to kind of use these characteristics. So, okay, first, red oak, white oak, you know, which species of red oak. Look at these hair patterns, all these different things to try to figure them out. Also with red oaks, uh, the bark. The bark is different. In general, the bark is hard, black, and furrowed. As a tree ages, it'll get black and hard, uh, furrowed and hard most of the time. So think of your, like you said, uh, your little buckley oak, the little Texas Spanish oak that grows in the hill country that's so beautiful in the fall. You know, when it gets big, it gets hard, dark, furrowed bark. Um, and uh, so examples of some red oaks we mentioned was Schumard oak is one that occurs here, which is a big, beautiful red oak that gets very tall. It's a magnificent tree, does very well in the hill country. But, uh, you know, some... You go across I-45 and get around Buffalo, you know, in Centerville and stuff out there, you start picking up the southern red oak. More acidic soils? Yes, more acidic soils. And I have planted southern red oak even in my neck of the woods here, and I can't get them to survive, you know. Plant them from records. They'll come up, they'll grow. I don't know what it is, but they all die. Um, so just, you know, they just don't do as well. Whereas Schumard oak will do very well on both the Blackland here and also, like, uh, around where I live, you know, across the river a little bit. They Just well adapted for our Very area. well adapted. They're a beautiful, magnificent tree. Have a big acorn, too. Bit beautiful tree. Make wonderful fall colors as well. And that all falls under red oak. Those would be red oak. So, other examples of red oaks in our area is blackjack oak. Blackjack oak is a type of red oak. Uh, water oak, what all of the uh, locals around here call pin oak. And there is a true pin oak, a true tree called pin oak that's native to, like, northeast of here. Um, and it's called, I think, Quercus palustris, I believe, pin oak. But uh, water oak is what we call pin oak around here. It's just a common name, and that's Quercus nigris. That, not Quercus nigra, that is, a, uh, that is a type of red oak as well. And if you look at the water oak leaf, believe it or not, if you look close, and even a blackjack leaf, you know, a blackjack oak kind of looks like a duck's foot, the leaf does. If you look, it'll have three little spine-tip margins. on the, And if you turn that leaf over where the veins meet the rachis, or that midrib, I mean, you'll see little tufts of hair, even on a water oak. And if you look closely, you'll see a little spine tip leaf mark. All characteristics of a red of oak a red species. Oak. It's not as pronounced like of a shoemard or a pin, or pin oak or a Texas oak, but it's there. It still is. And they all lose their leaves every winter? Yes, yeah. All red oaks that I knew. Some of them will hold them longer, you know. Some of, some trees you buy from nurseries and stuff, and that might be more adapted to East Texas or whatever, and you plant it, and some trees seem to hold their leaves longer than they should. Some trees will turn brown but never drop all their leaves. And now I don't know if that's a, a factor of the species or if that's just a factor of, uh, you know, where you got it, and it's kind of not perfectly adapted you know so all these different trees it's just like native grasses they're different what i'm going to call germplasms or ecotypes might be the same species but it's more adapted like bur oak for example bur oak is you know occurs all the way from minnesota to texas and it occurs in the east and the west it's very broad habitat but when, I, when you go up and you look at the bur oaks in minnesota yeah they're bur oaks you can see but they look very different 
than the bur oaks here in Texas. They just look a little bit different. Fall under the same species. Same species, no doubt. It's a bur oak. You know, it's just like I was working in Mississippi last week. You know, we have the same species, American elm. We got American elm here, everywhere. But you go to Mississippi, you can tell the leaves are the same, but the bark looks a little bit different. You know, it's just, they're just different. They're adapted to different climates. So it's real important if you're buying trees and nurseries and stuff like that to get one that's adapted to your area. Almost like finches on Galapagos Island or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Over years, they've had to change. I mean, I wonder if eventually they will be a different species. Maybe so. Live long enough. Yeah. Wouldn't well, surprise. you know, it's, you mentioned that. Well, I mean, oaks is one of the oldest oldest species of trees oh yeah and long lived i mean to still be around yeah. basically i mean like a lot of the things that have been around as long as them no longer exist anymore yeah well heck just the the giant you know the world or state record live oak it might be the world record live oak i'm not sure down in rockport at goose island i, th- I think they say that thing's over a thousand years old isn't uh, that something i don't know if they've ever you know taken a core of it to check it i don't know but they i know they estimate it to be that old and when you look at it you're like yeah i can see that being a thousand years old so i'll tell you what you better be careful what you do around that tree because you don't want to take that so be the guy that takes that sucker out oh yeah yeah that boy isn't that the truth you know it seems like i remember back maybe 10 15 20 years ago there was an old live oak i think it was down around belton somewhere mm-hmm. and it was like a like a super old tree like that and somebody, I think, had accidentally not cleaned out their tank or something and used one of those, like, ground sterilizer chemicals uh-huh. inside of that deal, and it got down there on the roots of that tree. Oh, man. And they tried everything to save it, like, as far as, like, cleaning, you know, like like digging soil out, replacing soil, trying to save that tree. And, you know, just that one mistake took oh, out, yeah. you know, hundreds of years old tree. Yeah, and they can't be replaced, man. I mean, that's, that's actually really sad. We, I mean, I love trees. I do. And, you know, you see those old ones. And so that's why it concerns me to see some of these old, beautiful trees not regenerate. Well, I mean, look, I mean, it goes all the way back to the Vikings making yeah. their ships out of oak trees. Yeah. You I, know, I mean, that's how long those things have yeah. been of importance around mm-hmm. here. I mean, like. I, they, they, they've been here since the beginning of time. Yeah, I think even during the Revolutionary War and maybe even the Civil War, I mean, our white oak, Quercus alba, it was it was the go-to tree for ship holes and stuff because it was so strong and durable. I mean, even in Europe, wanted our Quercus alba because it was such a such an important tree. So, I yeah. mean, yeah, and I mean, look at the good barbecue you can make with oak wood. <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> Dang right, man. A, But, you know, so I, I mean. I love it, cooking on post oak. I didn't mean to get distracted there, but yeah. so the, that's the characteristics of what a red oak is. Mm-hmm. And then you move over to the other side of the spectrum and you got the white oak Got the species. white oaks. Mm-hmm, what we consider white oaks. And so let's just, you know, in North America, there's probably about 50 white oak species, you know. That's so odd that it's about half and half. Yeah, yeah, probably about 50. And like I said, there's white oaks in the west there's white oaks in the east you know different species so okay white oaks and like i said we're going to lump them well to, just, so to summarize occur in white oak you know we're going to say live oaks are part of the white oaks the flora of north america treats live oaks as white oaks to summarize the red oaks you got hard you got hard bark yeah you got uh acorns mature biannually they're biannual acorns you got yep. the 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 points on the end of the leaves yeah fur or hair on the underside of the cap and usually hair on the on the underside of the leaf that. And, and and red oaks have more tannins and resins in them, so they usually have better fall color, or they have more oranges and reds fall colors, whereas white oaks generally have more yellows fall color. And from what I've read, their tannins and resins also go into the acorns. And so as a rule, you know, it seems like 
when it comes to wildlife relishing certain types of oaks, it seems like they like the white oaks better just because they don't have to deal with all the tannins and resins. Not that they won't eat the red oaks. They will, no doubt about it. But I've even heard... They prefer them a little less. Yeah, yeah, I would say. But, you know, and they're falling at different times, so it's important to have a mixture of both. But that's just what I've read some biology on the wildlife aspect. Now, I've even heard the Indians that used to make flour out of them, the white oaks make a little bit better flour because of that resin. So, you know, taste, you know, it matters, even to animals. Interesting. I didn't know that they use that for flour. Yeah, it's historically, I think they would grind. I think it's like labor intensive, but it can be done, and they are edible. And I've eaten it. I don't know if you've ever ate acorn. I, you know what? It I never have. Awful. Yeah. Like real bitter, I'm assuming? Yeah, bitter. I've eaten The only one I ever ate was a post oak, and uh, it was not that good, you know. So, and post oaks is a type of white oak. So, there you go. So, some characteristics of white oaks is acorns usually produce annually. They'll usually have acorns once a year. Now, I'm not saying every year is going to be a bump of crap. They have good years and they have bad years. The cap is smooth underneath. The little hat has no hairs underneath. The leaves are without bristle tips. Now, sometimes you might have what I call a little tit, you know, or a little, you know, like a little tit at the end of it, like on a white oak. But uh, it's not a bristle. It's not a spine tip bristle. And then the bark is generally white and scaly. You know, as a, as a tree gets older and mature, a lot of times it'll be scaly. It's usually not as dense, you know. That, that's the white oak. So, and white oaks are, are more geographically distributed. So there's lots of white oaks in Europe, everywhere in the old world. You know, it's kind of, before we get off the, that subject, I guess, it's kind of a good time to mention that, that a, red, a red oak, whenever the acorns fall and it sprouts... Yes, that's another thing about their strategy. In general, most of the time, when white oaks, white oaks will fall from the tree in the fall, and they will germinate, they will sprout, they'll put a root and a shoot down in the fall, and then they'll overwinter, and then they'll come back. Whereas red oaks, most of them, in general, they'll fall in the fall and get on the ground, but then they overwinter. They won't sprout until spring. But they have to be covered up by something. They need to be sober because that's one of the problems. We're talking about regeneration. We're going to talk about disturbance. Oaks love sunlight they are sun species they cannot tolerate shade shade they are shade intolerant uh, all of them have varying degrees of the amount but in general they need disturbance something that creates sunlight so then that's important but also desiccation the acorn will dry out fast and the longer the acorn sits on the ground the more susceptible it is to weevil infestation so you want the acorn to hit the ground pretty fast or better yet, get it off the acorn right, right when it starts loosening from the cap, you know, and go plant it. That's the best time to plant them. The longer it sits on the ground, the more susceptible to weevils they are, and the quicker they desiccate. And then in our falls, you know, we get some 80, 90 degree days in falls. And if it's a dry fall, unless a squirrel buries that acorn, or if you've got a lot of, like a good functioning forest ecosystem, and functioning detritus and leaf litter layer you know a lot of times the and i've seen it firsthand in east texas the acorn will fall and get good seed soil content and then be covered up with leaves and that's enough to insulate it and germinate it right that, work, that works great yeah, for that. it works great insulation is perfect but you look at these landscapes here that don't have that functioning system that detritus that you know the organic layer down there they're just these beautiful they look like parks you know beautiful bermuda fields are beautiful and it's just all these post oaks there's no regeneration there and when those trees are gone they're gone you know so wild hogs probably help with the regeneration and the way that they root around and eat some but then they cover others up they do and i will say that you know when i was working in louisiana extensively i was really studying just self-teaching myself folks over there and you know 
feral hogs got a bad rap all the time, and I and I hated feral hogs too. But they got a bad rap about eating everything. They just eat everything. Well, I went over there and I worked for years and I studied and I watched those areas where those hogs. Yeah, they were eating seventy percent of it, but they were planting a lot too. I yeah. could go and look at some of those roots and come back the year and those were oaks germinating there. So I'm not giving hogs kudos. I'm just saying, you know, They're they good don't planters. eat every one. They yeah. don't eat every one. And you think about it, the true Eurasian wild boar, it developed in the forest of Eurasia and Europe and Germany and all that stuff. And that's some of the prettiest oak forest ecosystems there is, you know. They probably helped with that a little bit. Yeah. And I mean, but now we've got feral hogs that have way more babies, you know, well, that's a whole nother topic. So, you know, they just, they, there's, they just, they out-compete and out-reproduce than, like, the native Eurasian wild boar that just had one litter a year. Oh, that was ideal. Yeah, yeah. So, something about hogs and, and acorns and oak trees, I guess. But I guess Well, that old saying, oh, even the blind hog finds an acorn every once yeah, in a while. Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. even, like, in Europe, they use those hogs to hunt truffles or something, I've read, or... I don't know, something dealing with the oak tree roots and some type of fungus or mushroom, and they would use hogs to help dig them up. You know, this goes back to over in France maybe or something. I have to look it up. I don't know the details of it. But they were hunting something, using using trained hogs to find something growing in oak roots. But uh, so we mentioned uh, the disturbance, and that's key, and that's something we want to talk about. Did we, did we cover all the characteristics of white oaks? Uh, I think so. Scaly bark, leaves without bristle tips. Yeah, yeah. So those are things. There's basically 50 of them, you know, North American. So examples of white oaks that occur around here is post oak. Number one, you know, everybody's familiar with a post oak. It's a type of white oak. I will say post oak is an exception. Like I said, in general, well, post oak, it's called Quercus stellata. And the reason it's called stellata is on the underside of a post oak leaf, it actually does have hairs. But they're stellata, stellate means star shape. If you look on they're like little tiny hairs. Nearly all the red oaks hairs underneath are always brown. These are white or very thin or very light colored on a post oak. If you look at them with like a 10x magnifying glass, you can see them. They're little star shaped hairs. Well, so now that's, that's I, pretty cool. Yeah. And there's different species of post oak too. Like you got a bottomland post oak you get in East Texas that you've got a beautiful post oak. And, you know, they're, they're little intricacies and differences in them. And then so that's a white oak that occurs here. And then if you go east a little bit, you have the true white oak called Quercus alba. And um, that's a beautiful tree. You look at it. I love that tree. And I actually planted a bunch of acorns from uh, East Texas I got on my place here in Hanover. And I planted them, I guess, back in 2015. They're doing real well. So, like I said, I wanted to try them out. And they're doing pretty good, so I'm happy about that. Like, I've got one that's probably eight foot tall. It was just a really good tree. And it's only planted in 2016. So oh, man. Doing pretty good. Yeah. It's, I just found a sweet spot that it liked. So, that's part of it on Oak So. All of well, some other examples of white oaks. You know, you got what's like a Monterey oak. That's a type of white oak. If you're familiar with that, um, there's like I said, uh, most of your uh, stuff out in West Texas. A lot of those in the Chisos Mountains. There's mixtures of you know white oaks and red oaks all within there. So I guess get back to disturbance. So this is what we was talking about. These and this is one of the things that's really a challenge that oak trees in general are facing. Yes, yes. So we've taken out the system. And that's what got us on this talk because we're talking about all the ice and all this stuff. Well, if you think about it, as bad and as of an eyesore it was, and it looks really bad to us. That ice storm probably helped oaks as far as oak regeneration because oaks need disturbance. They need sunlight. Well, historically, what did that? 
they are fire maintained species, they are drought maintained species, and they are grazing maintained species. Those were the three disturbances that occurred. They're basically the same disturbances that formed the prairie. And those same natural factors, fire, grazing, and drought, those are the big ones. Our oak trees are adapted to it. And because of that disturbance and periodic disturbance, you have what I call shade-tolerant species and shade-intolerant species. Um, in general, oaks and pecans, even hickories, are shade-intolerant. Most of your shade-intolerant stuff has big nuts or big acorns, you know. And then um, a lot of your shade-tolerant stuff, which is like your hackberries, cedar elm to some extent, winged elm, Yopon, eastern red cedar. You know, you can see these plants growing up underneath in the shade, and they seem to do just fine. Well, now, like you uh, mentioned before, evidence of these these oak trees basically like like a needing space in order to grow would be if you look at the really old ones and how branched out they are, and how 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 you could tell they didn't grow up in a yeah in a in, with a lot of competition. Yeah, they had plenty look- of room to grow, where it wasn't like today's thickets. Yeah, like the trees will just, um, they'll tell you, if you pay attention to how the growth hormone, they'll tell you what it used to look like. So you can go in what you consider pristine, nice bottomland hardwoods down here, and you see some of those old giant trees. They got trees really down low. Now, that tr- or that limb, limb's really way down low, and big limbs. Now, that limb may be dead because... It's now it's gotten so thick. It's got so thick, it, you know, and that's what's happening in the Blackland Prairie right now with our bottom lands. Uh, they're growing up in hackberry shade taller and cedar elm and then a lot of these places aren't being grazed or they you know or they were isolated from flood so you can't graze them fire well, you couldn't put a fence in a, in a bottom a fence in there know? and so they're being choked up and those oak trees are not regenerating that's number one what was happening with the Durando, no in fire. my opinion, in my opinion, not disturbance. Now, flood could be a form of disturbance, you know, and that can help clear stuff out. But the problem is those little fast growths like the tortoise and the hare, you know, that the, the, the oak is the tortoise. It puts a root down, whereas like the hackberries and the uh well, we've also Cedar cut elms. back on the flooding with the dams and yes, it doesn't too. flood them out like we talked about before. Historically, Little River it should get it would have gotten out you know at least twice a year, once in the spring, once in the fall, you know. So all that happening, but this ice storm, believe it or not, when I'm looking at my landscape and yeah, it looks terrible, it helped in regeneration because it basically knocked the top third of all these canopies off of these trees around here and put them on the ground and. Now those limbs are there, you know, unless you clean them up, fire will eventually take care of them or they will rot. One of the two, maybe not fire anymore, but historically it would have. Well, now those limbs are on the ground, and if you got a deer problem, those little oak trees are going to be able to fall in there. It's got a little nice, what I call a little nurse area for our acorn to sprout. And not only that, it's kind of protected. A deer can't get in there to eat, and the light is enough, you know. So it's going, and, and if there was an oak tree that's sitting there that wasn't doing very well because it needed to be what I call released, that top being knocked out there uh, will give it, you know, open a, these little light gaps and let it go. Well, know? and so even like if you look at a lot of these old, what what are now old fence lines that were fences were built, man, 100 years ago, I guess. Yeah. And you've got, you've got all these like hackberries and you've got these uh, elms and you've got these cedars, all these like fast-growing Trees that birds crapped out on the fence at yeah. one point, I guess. You don't see any oaks growing there. No. But 
then again, like you said, now that all those those old trees are starting to die and rot, mm-hmm. now you're starting to see some oaks come yeah. up, like maybe where the squirrels have carried nuts in and the trees have fell and on the them. Detritus, or, yeah. So it's a system, and generally the system's created to fix itself. It will fix itself now. The problem is it may not be within our gener- our lifetime, you know, our generation. It will eventually fix itself. I've outlived a few hackberries, but <laughs> yes. I ain't outlived many oaks. That's true, you know, so it's that system that follows, but... The key in maintaining and managing that system is put those systems in place that promote some type of disturbance. So light is a big one. Fire, grazing are the big ones for my life. Well, because you got to go back to the oak itself. It's growing a root first. Yes. Growing a root first while your cedars, they're dropping a seed and them suckers are growing straight up. Their their growth strategies get high and they can tolerate shade too. And, And not only that, their roots are way shallower rooted so they're also those shallow rooted tree they're also taking moisture you know from oh, other big trees time. and grass as well so you know but the good thing about it is egg, uh, oak gets sprouted and it's down there hoof action from a cattle it might top take top out but it ain't gonna kill that oak the oak's gonna come back whereas little baby hackberries and little baby elms that are inch or too tall hoof action will go in there and they'll kill that you know just by hoof action from grazing they just don't have the root to they take don't it. have the root to take it but you take that out and fire too run through there man they're 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 done when they're that little so taking that out of the system creates these overshaded landscapes and then it gets so bad that it's at a level that fire and grazing can't fix it you know almost so you almost have to do mechanical or something in there to, to kind of get it back to which is to where like a lot of that mulching and stuff yeah, is kind of to get it into a again. system that's workable again and so when you get in those areas where it's that thick and that much shade tolerant, the only thing that's reproducing in there is the shade tolerant plants. Yes, the acorns fall. They might germinate, but they sit there and sit there and sit there. And so, you know, a disturbance like this that totally knocks out some stuff, you know, it'll help, you know, to create these light gaps. And it'll help some regeneration. Also, what I'm noticing, too, like just on my creek alone that was so incised and starting to cut, you know, just to, from land, past land use changes, the entire canopy of these trees is in that creek now you know i mean tons of it so it's slowing water down it's slowing you know of course it's going to rot and take some time and everything but it's slowing the water down it basically was, it's also raising the raising the stream bed yeah it was because the sediment's going to get oh, trapped good point. In instead of so you're also basically it's the system fixing itself it was basically nature creating beaver dams yeah pretty much in my opinion so i actually think that the winter storm is helping the creek and it's definitely going to help oak regeneration. It's a sore to our eyes. We like everything to look like a park. But I think the systems is just basically the disturbance. You know, it's that, that, the system just fixing itself and also the system that created it. You know, all that stuff around it is just how it functions. Absolutely. Maintain and it. so, a, you know, a deeper root, deeper rooted tree is, is going to fare a whole lot better, too, in what that ice and cold weather actually was, too. I mean, those soft-wooded, soft-wooded trees, they... They really, I don't think they'll ever recover from yeah, that. Yeah, well, which, I had a lot of hackberries that were really big that just fell over. Yeah, the, they, the, they just, like, the whole tree uprooted it, you know. Yeah, they, they, they literally didn't fare at all. No, no, limbs everywhere on those cotton-picking things. Elms, yeah. too. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, the water oaks at my house, I, I, I love water oaks. They're pretty trees, but I got to where I cussed them pretty bad for the last month because uh, I've been cleaning up mostly those in the top. So now I kind of consider them a glorified pretty blackjack oak. <laughs> it's kind of where I'm at on those. Yeah, it, it's uh, um, I mean, and so you look at all those things, and 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 you know how they they grow their roots first and all that. I guess it, I guess that that's one of the main reasons, you know, that 
that that they've done so well over time and all with you know with fire and and all those things that would come through and naturally take care of all the weaker competition and they would fare so well yeah and now we've done away with that yeah we take those out of the system that's where we're losing a lot and depending on the tree like i said mexico's facing a lot of problems with extinction a lot of the species and they got some of the coolest oak trees in the world like some oak some oak trees down there, the acorn is as big as a baseball. Some of them, the acorn looks like a jalapeno pepper. You know, it's long and skinny. Amazing stuff. And like I said, I think it's the same thing holds true. What's happening down there is happening here. It's just, you know, different systems. Some are adapted. But they need disturbance, you know, and they need – and taking that out is why we're not getting a lot of the regeneration that we should be, in my opinion, which can be fixed relatively easy. So, you know, I guess we could help that along by planting the trees ourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, uh, and then like, putting that system in place that maintained it, you know, burn it every now and then. You know? Is there some important things for planting oak trees? I know you do it a lot. Yeah, I mean, um, best thing to do if you're going to plant, I plant most of them by acorns, you know. And, uh, well, first off, like you said, pick the right species for your area. Pick the right species. If it's growing native around your area, just go find that tree that you want that's producing a lot. Like, I, I go around here looking all the time. Oh, there's a bur oak that's native. There's a durand oak that's native. There's a shoemard oak. There's a really beautiful population of shoemard oaks on Tyson Creek around Maysville. And a big, beautiful ones, you know. Go pick them. Don't let the acorn sit on the ground long. If you can gather it off the tree, the better. Get the acorn and um, pull it off the tree. Uh, right when it starts the, wanting to come out of its cap pretty easily. That's perfect where it, where, it doesn't, where it doesn't have to pry it out. It kind of You just barely touch it and twist it, and it just falls out. That's the best time to get them. And, uh, man, put them right in the ground. Uh, the, the sooner the better. But if you can't, you can put them in the refrigerator and kind of hold them off or even put them in soil or put them in a big tub, cover them, and, and just plant them. Just like a squirrel, the depth of an acre, or even you can leave the, the, the apex of the acorn sticking out just a little bit, cover it with hay, check on it every now and then, and as soon as you see that root, because you'll see the shoot start coming out of that acorn, as soon as you do that, take and go plant it. And plant it just like a squirrel, you know, about the depth of an acorn. Lay it on its side, plant it on there, cover it up. If you got some type of detritus, some type of old hay or leaves or something around there, put that on top of it, and that's all it takes. That helps hold moisture. Yeah. And- Protected from other things as well. Yeah, and I planted thousands of them in a day. It's a little harder now because it involves getting up and getting down, but they even make a little acorn planter, I think, that you can just poke in the ground and drop an acorn there, which is pretty good. And I'm thinking about buying one, to be honest with you. But uh, that's a good thing. That's one way to just go plant them. And another thing, planting them too, uh, I actually think, in my opinion, if you're going to buy potted plants or if you're going to put them in plants and grow them for a little while and see which one's good i think fall planting them like out of a tub that is the best october november yeah october november and this is for two reasons in my opinion for one you know forever and ever and ever the history and the everybody was planting in february and and it still works i i I, i've planted in february and it works but the thing about it is if you plant in february you just shocked that tree for one you took it out of whatever it was growing in or, or you dug it up somewhere and then you put it somewhere and it's right now so it's got to start growing roots immediately, and it's also fixing to have to start growing shoots immediately because in February, the sun's coming on, spring is coming on, things are getting ready, sap's going up into those plants. And so basically that plant has to both grow roots and shoots at the same time after being shocked like crazy. So it might require some TLC, a little bit more. So you plant it on your yard, you probably get by with it, but you better mulch it, you better water it, you better take good care of it. Whereas in the fall planting, plants grow roots in the wintertime. You know, no shoots, but in the fall, that plant's going dormant. You get it in the ground in October, November, even if you shocked it, it's still going to grow 
roots all winter long, but it's not having to use that extra energy to also grow shoots. It's got four or five months or three months for sure that it can grow roots and not to worry about shoots. And then when spring gets here, it's got some roots established and it's ready to take off. And at the very minimum, at the very minimal, you've at least given more time for like root to soil contact. Yes. Like the you know the soil has time to to run down around the roots, you know, and kind of make better contact with the roots and. And like oh, you yeah. said, they, they grow roots all winter. So so by the time the spring comes around and it's time to to go, well they'll you know they'll, they'll be better rooted and ready to for, ready for the spring. Yes, I think that they'll require less maintenance. You know, not that you know when you plant a tree, you better think about taking it care of it for two years. You know, for sure if you want it not to die because it you know droughts happen in Texas. You know, in that case, I wonder if there's anything good to put around a tree when you do plant it that's better. Mulch. But I'm, I'm talking about in the actual hole. You know, I wonder if like like if some kind of like a phosphorus rich thing yeah, like manure I've heard there's some or something. Stuff to plant. Yeah, um, root stimulator growth is a big one. That's just you know? a high phosphorus and product. I, and isn't I it? always, if I take a tree out of a pot, I take my knife and I cut the daylights out of the roots. Well, you know, even if you transplant it. vegetables, that's a good idea yeah. to mm-hmm. kind of rough the roots up a little bit. Sure. So to help with the root, to, so they're not growing in a constant ball. Yeah, that's right. Kind of helps them grow out instead of in the same little ball shape that they've been trained in. Mm-hmm. True or not, I don't know, but that's what I, I know. I think it. I think it helps. And speaking of vegetables, oh man, speaking of vegetables, yeah. man, I, we're we're it's gardening time here in Central yeah. Texas, isn't it? Yes, it is. Man, I, we just this past week downtown, they had the Master Gardeners had a plant sale just yesterday, actually. And man, I tell you what, if you don't do one of those in your town, if you're if you have a Masters Master Gardeners uh, Association or group that that doesn't host a plant sale every spring, you should probably consider it. Yeah, because man, that was probably the biggest thing to hit downtown all year. I mean, it was hundreds of cars down there at that deal. You know, everybody going to pick up plants that people have been growing in their greenhouses and stuff all year. Really good event. Yeah, I'm glad to see that too. I'm glad to see people getting out and about in the garden in the springtime. You know, it's just garden's fun. I think it's just something innate in us. You know, that makes us want to get out there. Something nice about growing your own food too. I love it. So yeah, you know, and even here at the feed store, we've been busy with uh, uh, selling plants and all. So, yes, indeed, spring has sprung, Chancy, and people, like I said, people have been coming in here wanting garden plants after garden plants after garden plants, and, you know, whenever they come in and they have a question like that I should know the answer to, and I obviously don't, I say, you know what, there's a guy who I'm going to call. Yes. And he's a guy we've known a long time, and uh, his, his name is actually Dr. Frank Summers, who is a local living legend when it comes to gardening around here. <laughs> Absolutely, he is. Yeah, we're he, lucky enough to have him on the line this morning. We right? are, and, and so uh, Frank uh, is joining us over uh, this fancy thing we have now called technology. Frank, how's it going today, my friend? It's going good, but that introduction was way, way laying it on too heavy. Uh, what do you want, Brad? <laughs> you to keep buying feed from me, Frank. Okay, <laughs> we can probably work that out. God, dog, but yeah, hey, spring has sprung around here, man, and it's been eighty-five degrees and it's been twenty degrees. But I think the twenty-degree days are about over with. Uh, so, what you know, what, what, where are we at in the gardening world right now? Well, I hope you're right about those 20-degree days, but you know what the old-timers say, uh, Easter spell is still in front of us, and that's in April, so, uh, you know, I'd be a little bit touchy about what I was going to plant right away. You're right. Spring has sprung. I've been watching the trees and happened to get uh, go down to Columbus yesterday, and boy, they're just blooming all over, wildflowers everywhere, and it's really spring is here, and people will probably get that itch, but... uh, I'd say it's way too early for tomatoes and peppers unless you can cover them and protect them in case Mr. Frost decides to 
to visit us again. We well, you know frosts are good for the feed store business, Frank, because the people have bought a lot of peppers already. <laughs> I probably, well, I probably should have sold them some mulch too. Yeah, well, if, if they can cover them with a, a aluminum can, anything, just uh, give them a little bit of cover. As long as it doesn't get much below 30 degrees, they may make it. You know, the ground naturally stores some heat, and that container will help control it. I know uh, back last year I got my cabbage through the uh, the hard spell with uh, syrup tubs, you know, big, well, I guess lick tubs, I guess you call yeah. them, and they did a good job. No, you know, yeah, those a are a good idea. thing, and, and a lot of those are, are dark colored, too, so they kind of probably that's absorb right. a little more sunlight. Uh, and so, right. you know, like you mentioned old-timers, and they say that if it thunders at the beginning of February, that means a freeze in April, and boy, it thundered in the beginning of February this year. Yeah, well, you know, you can't live by a wives' tale. There's a lot of them out there. A lot of people like to plant by the moon, and I've actually done some things by the moon and not by the moon and really haven't been able to tell a whole lot of difference, but... You know, if the moon can move oceans, I imagine it can have effect on other things. But <laughs> right now, right now, uh, you know, it's not too late to put in a few potatoes, which I'm going to do this afternoon. I was given some seed potatoes, and I'm going to go ahead and not waste them. I may not make as good a potato crop, but all your cold crops now, I'm sure, Brad, you got some broccoli and some cauliflower and cabbage and things like that on hand. Still plenty of time to get those in the ground. Oh, there is still plenty of time for those winter crops. Yeah. Yep, but but it needs to happen now. Don't put it off. They can stand, uh, cabbage can stand like 26, 27, depending again. Uh, broccoli is, is a little more sensitive, but if you cover them, uh, they do real well. Like I say, mine survived. What did it get down to, 13? It did, yes. And and they, they fared pretty well through that, huh? Oh, I ate cabbage last night. Hey, what about Still? onions? Onions? Uh, you know, I always like to get my onions in the ground back in uh, November or December, but it didn't seem like there were any around this year. And uh, you still, they're probably not going to bulb as big, not going to do as well. Uh, onions are uh, biennial. In other words, it really takes two years, supposedly, to, to go ahead and, and go to seed. And with the weather being cold and hot, that sometimes confuses the onions, and they don't do quite as well. So you're really better off planting them earlier in the year. But, you know, if you want to plant some onions, you'll certainly wind up with some green ones if you don't wind up with any large bulb-type onions. You know, and uh, the question's been asked on those 10-15 varieties. Does that mean you're supposed to plant the seed on 10-15? Correct. October 15th? That is the date. October 15th is when you're supposed to plant the seed. And I, I don't know if you guys actually listened to my horticultural hotline show last uh, last Saturday or yesterday, but, you know, uh, I'm getting around, and, and, and I'm not trying to take business away from you at all here. I know you guys in the feed store. It's right okay, now. Frank. I can edit it. <laughs> <laughs> well, my thing is I really like to see – I'm going to start seeding a lot more stuff myself and growing my own transplant Bonnie Seeds grow some great plants, but they have really capitalized on the market. And there's a lot of varieties out there, old-timers like me, uh, look for, and you can't find at any of the box stores or nurseries or anywhere because most of them now, it's much easier to buy Bonnie's uh, or get Bonnie's plants because I know I know how they play the game. What you sell, you pay for. What you don't sell, you don't pay for, which is a good deal for the for the, the seller, certainly. But there's things out there like Floor America, 
fantastic, super fantastic spring giant tomato varieties that the seed is still available. And those are heirlooms, Frank? No, no, no. They're just old hybrid varieties that are still around. I think there's some commercial farmers that are still growing for America. It was a commercial tomato for a long time. It's a really good, uh, healthy plant, large potato. I mean, (laughs) large tomatoes. Good shipper. While you're on the topic, I mean, what are some of the better tomato varieties? Everybody wants celebrity. Uh, I don't know if well, that's you know if that's the best or you know how you determine exactly what tomatoes that a person should plant in our area. Well, it all depends on what you want to do with them. And for one thing, of course, the Roma and some of the paste tomatoes are, are good if you're going to be making ketchup and sauces and that kind of stuff. I personally, my choices. Celebrity is one of them, and, and uh, you know, one of the reasons you see these certain varieties everywhere, and that's all you can get, early girl, uh, celebrity, uh, you know, some of those that are just always on the market, basically, a lot of people know them and they use them, and celebrity is certainly a good plant. It's called a, a semi-determined. If you can keep it alive through the summer, it'll, it'll produce all, once it gets too hot, it quits, but it'll pick up again in the fall. And it's a really good plant for most home gardeners. Of course, early girl is also a good one that they say, they call it early girl, but I've had a lot of other tomatoes like Homestead and, and Porter's uh, produce earlier. But i tell you, I'm going to be planting Celebrity this year. I'm going to be planting some early girl. I'm going to be planting some big beef. That is a, a variety. It's, it's a big kind of a beefsteak-like uh, tomato. It's a, it's a sandwich tomato, I would say. You know, it's one of those that'll cover the whole burger patty. You just one slice of it. Yes. Those are those are my top picks. And of course, there's better boy, big boy. The only thing you want to be sure of is that you you buy something that is nematode, verticillium, and fusarium resistant. Exactly. Which variety? Which varieties are resistant to that? The the ones you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Those are all VFN. And uh, the nematode B, verticillium, fusarium, wilt, and, and nematodes. And, uh, you know, those are all – most anything you get on the market today that's a hybrid will have those traits. Some of them, matter of fact, may even have a few more traits. There's a mosaic virus out there, and there's some t- uh, tomato varieties, which I don't know what they are right now. They mention that they have a tolerance. Are, are they're not immune to it, but they might tolerate it better than some of the other other plants. Yeah, and so when you plant tomatoes, Frank, is there any good practices? Yeah. Like something that's good to do, you know, like when you plant them, I, like maybe a certain type of fertilizer or something? something that... No. Number one, I, I don't ever put any fertilizer in the hole with anything, and I don't think anybody else should. People tend to overdo it. You know, if a little bit's good, a lot more will do a lot better. Not necessarily true. I normally lay my fertilizer down in the row when I'm bedding up. If you don't do that, you can come back later and side dress. But my I, and I'll tell you who taught me this years ago was a gentleman by the name of Perry Litke. He was famous in the Rockdale area as a truck gardener and a tomato grower. And uh, basically, if that, that, that stem, you don't want to take the growing point out of the tomato, but all those lower leaves and everything, if I've got a if I've got a 8-inch or a 6-inch tall plant, there'll be about 2 inches of it out of the ground when I get done. If i got an 8-inch tall plant, there'll be about 2 inches out of it when I get done. Are you planting that deep? Yes, sir. That whole root, I mean that whole stem will root. Uh And the stronger the root system, the better off you are. 
That's a great tip. So what did you say? You plant two-thirds of it roughly? Pretty much, yeah, yeah. You know, you can't can't cover the top leaves, of course, but uh, you can go ahead and, and plant them a lot deeper. than. In other words, they've got that little six-inch cup or four-inch cup, and people just barely cover the dirt, you know, yeah. and plant them that deep. No, go all the way down as deep as you can. I usually leave uh, the, the growing point in the next two, maybe three sets of leaves, and that's it. Well, you know, usually it's only two, though. Like you said, with the risk of possibly a late freeze or something coming in a week or two, well, if you plant it that deep, the heat from the ground will, you know, help insulate yeah, a little bit will, too, keep it a little bit warmer. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. You must have been an old ag teacher or something. <laughs> no, I've been listening to the Horticulture Hotline. I learned all this stuff oh, over the years. I know Frank. better than that. Yes, yeah, no, sir. I, I, as far as as far as planting tomatoes, I've got about uh, I'm going to be putting in about 120 plants this year, and I'm not going to put those in probably. Till the very last week of March. A hundred and twenty? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, man, I'm not even going to plant a garden, Frank. I'm just going to get my stuff from you since you clearly know way better than me what you're doing anyway. Well, we had a really bumper crop last year with the current conditions of the economy. Uh, I, I decided that I hadn't planted in a long time a large garden, and I planted a large garden, and, of course, mostly on new ground because I've got a lot of places to plant. And, boy, I hit a home run. Uh, we, uh, I've got some sisters that love tomatoes. I love tomatoes. I'll eat a tomato, fresh tomato, morning, noon, and night, and then maybe one for dessert. Uh, <laughs> kind of sometimes kind of sometimes scare me if I'm not careful. But that being said, <laughs> I love them. I, you, can't, you, know, you can't beat a, a homegrown tomato. And, uh, I, yeah, I grow that many because – I found a market or two last year, and I think some people are looking forward to buying some tomatoes, fresh tomatoes, homegrown this year, locally. Well, boy, between tomatoes and the eggs, I mean, you can't grow enough of that stuff yourself anymore now. That's true. You know, and what about strawberries, Frank? Some people ask about growing strawberries. Does it take sandy land to do that, or does it? Or will they grow well, just about anywhere? Strawberries will do all right. The thing about strawberries are you have a couple of different kinds. You have the day-neutral varieties and then the June-bearing varieties. Here in Milam County, probably the best varieties are the June-bearing varieties. One of the top strawberry varieties, and I grew them for years uh, when I had my boys at home because we all like strawberries. Oh, very good. We always always grew sequoia. It's not a good shipper because it, it... you need to pick it and either freeze it or eat it. Don't leave it in the freezer for, I mean, in the fridge for two or three days because it'll go soft on you. But they have a fan. They taste like strawberries. Like what a strawberry is supposed to taste like. Yeah. yeah. Right, like they tasted like when you were a kid. Mm-hmm. I'm just telling you. So that uh, the June bearing plants need to go in the ground sometime in October or November so they can winter and, and do the whole thing and be go through their cycle and start bearing they call them june bearing but they start bearing usually around april depends on the weather again so they won't freeze uh, frank over the winter well they will but again they're very easy to you just cover them with some hay or uh, any kind of mulch or anything that you can spread back later on because that growing point of a strawberry is so low to the ground the crown as they call it is slow low to the ground that it really takes a hard freeze to take them out because again we talked about that ground heat earlier if it's stored up it's going to keep them nice and warm and just throwing a little thin mulch of hay over the top you're good to go okay that's good that's good to note and uh is there any other kind of 
things that we need to be doing right now that that's important to to get done here before it gets too hot well you know certainly you want to get your garden ready so you can go in because if we get into a may situation where our rainy situation in may like we have in some years and you don't have your stuff planted you don't want to be mudding it in because that's going to compact the ground and it's just not really really a good uh a good way to to plant but you know, there's a lot of things like you were mentioning that could go in the ground. You can see turnips, beets, carrots, uh, you know, a lot of those things right now can go on in the ground uh, seed-wise, and they'll come up. And, of course, corn. We're past the, the the real corn planting date. You know, I think a lot of farmers like to get in in the end of February, first part of March, uh, to be planting. And now's a good time to go ahead and plant your, your corn. As I say, whatever the weather's going to do, if it stays warm and we have those 80-degree days, you can plant your peppers today. But I'm not going to take that chance. Hey, if we had a crystal ball, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'd all be rich, wouldn't we? I mean, buddy. It is, so what about things, Frank, like watermelons? A little too early for that? Okra? Yeah, watermelon, okra. A little too early for I that? Never plant my, I, I never plant my okra till May. Okra's like cotton. End of April, 1st of May, it likes hot weather. It, I mean, it really does like hot weather. I had good luck with my okra last year, planted it in May, and was starting to cut my post okra about uh, mid-June to the end of June. You you can try and start it earlier. One of the secrets, people say, well, okra is so hard to get up. I've got a little secret about okra. Uh, if you plant ice cubes, you'll get your okra up. And what I mean by that is get you an old ice tray that makes ice tree, ice cube you stick in your freezer, mm-hmm. put you one or two okra seeds in each. I usually put two and have to go in and thin them later. In each one of those, fill it with water, freeze it, and then plant the ice cube, and your okra will come up. That is ingenious. You are joking me. No, that's an old trick uh, I learned years and years ago because it scarifies the seed. It helps soften the seed, and it's sitting in water. When that ice cube melts, it's sitting right there in water, whether you're in sand, clay, whatever. It starts off right away with that water Cause being it's, right there. Being though it's a dicot, you can't plant it too deep, huh? Well, you really don't want to plant any dicot too deep. Corn, mm-hmm. you can probably get away with it on, but and it's chancy. Well, that's a monocot, right, chancy? Yes, sir. I believe all grasses are. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I remember having conversations with him when he was a kid. Monocot, yeah. And dicot. Yeah, oh, yeah. When I first took botany at Temple College, man, I just, I was like, I was talking to Frank forever. I was so excited to tell him all the stuff I was learning about plants. Yeah. <laughs> See, Frank, we, yeah. me and Chancey just got through doing a whole little segment on oak trees and the importance of oak trees and we said we better not call frank in for this because he's gonna know see through all our lies <laughs> we didn't want somebody yeah. who know, we don't want anybody intelligent on this conversation on that conversation with us frank <laughs> I, you know my rule i've been asked a lot about trees lately and i'll tell you brad i it's my opinion sit and wait you know a lot of them were damaged I, i've looked at some trees that don't look good our live oaks really look bad right now but remember February is the start of the annual leaf drop for live oaks in our area. So, you know, if it's losing leaves or this kind of thing, give it till May, you know, into May, June, and then make a decision on whether or not you think it's in trouble. Well, and even Chancey mentioned, you know, Frank, while we have you, that this could turn out to be a good thing for the oaks because it removed a lot of that sunshade, you know, a lot of the, the canopy coverage. For regeneration, Chancey's a, <laughs> yeah, a whole lot smarter than he looked. Uh, but that's true. That's true. You know, people talk to me about trees and all this stuff taking care of them, and I, I'm blessed to live in a county 
where we've got a lot of natural forest, post oak forest, yes. and actually in the post oak savanna with cedars and all kinds of trees. And, you know, I see trees every day that the only person that's ever taken care of them is Mother Nature and God. Mm-hmm. So, well, and now, Frank, we've like, limited that where Mother Nature can't even really take care of it the way it <laughs> she used to with fire and whatever else not. True, true, but that's one of the things that I made a comment on. Uh, God was just pruning trees with that ice, ice storm. Yeah, right. see, Frank, so I make a comment like that, and you brag on how smart Chancey is, and I say something smart and nothing. <laughs> Crickets. <laughs> Crickets, Frank. <laughs> You're welcome. Not yeah, a problem. Appreciate bro. it, bud. I'll just sit <laughs> here did. quietly and listen to you and Chancey talk for the rest <laughs> of the time. <laughs> Any time. <laughs> but but uh, is that, so is that about it, Frank? Anything else you could think of right That's now? That's about it. Uh, people, you know, there's a lot of pain and snapdragons and stuff showing up that you get about 90 days of good spring color out of them. So the ladies that like to color up their gardens and their yards and their landscape beds, uh, you know, can, can jump in there and, and plant those right now. And of course, uh, come mid March, it's pretty much open season to do just about anything, but okra, watermelons, pumpkins, those kind of things. You want to wait a little bit longer. They like the heat. Yes, sir. And, and uh, again, uh, this is Dr. Frank Summers that we're speaking to here. And he every Saturday he has a, a, a segment on uh, KMIL 105.1 The Ranch called the Horticulture Hotline. How many years have you been doing that now, Frank? Since 1986. Oh wow. wow! Me and Chancy were six. Yeah, man, that's that's. I was seven. <laughs> I was seventy nine. Uh, <laughs> wow! I actually started it that far back, and I had been doing uh, programs, extension programs, for a long time as an extension agent. They had a riff in '86, and I hung around, and uh, they uh, got me to come on and do the horticultural hotline in late '86, early '87. Been doing it ever since. And yeah, now in this day and time, uh, you can listen to that wherever you are because yes. KMIL one hundred five one The Ranch is online. Yeah, and uh, you, can, you bet. Yeah, and so uh, and and so me and Chancy, we wanted to have Frank on our our uh, show here for you today to give you some good advice. And even though he had never asked us to be on his show, but uh, that's that's just the way life goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see him two or three times a week, and he never once asked me to be on the show. But, but uh, that's You're okay, kidding. Frank. That's okay. <laughs> no, I didn't know y'all were going to abuse me. No, we appreciate you being on with us today, my friend, and and uh, and uh, we hope that uh, uh, that that you have a good year and good gardening year, and we'll, we'll get you back on a little later in the season to talk about where we are in the right. in the gardening year. Hey, thank Sounds you, Frank. Good. I you appreciate you, bud. Yeah, have a good you day. Bet. You too. Bye-bye. Uh, so that man just has so much knowledge, man. Yes, <laughs> he, yes, he does. Yeah, he he could talk all day about that. Yeah, he really is. I and mean, like I said, his show, I remember we listened to it all the time. You know, when I worked at the hardware store in the feed store every Saturday morning, you know, it's good. It's just love that show yes yes and so well anyway we hope you got something out of today's show went a little over time with uh you know having uh, uh dr summers on today but but uh but it was always good to sit sit down and visit with you chancy uh, we wish we could get together more than every six months to talk to everybody but but life has gotten busy and uh we're chasing kids and we're uh uh working all our two or three jobs and doing different things so so um it's always good to get together and talk talk with chancy and put something together for you guys so so we hope you enjoy the day and and i guess until next time we'll see you later all right bye-bye y'all